everyone, and welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is sponsored this week by VPay, the total payment solution. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering climate risk. Congress takes a closer look at climate and its impact on the security of the nation. And we sit down with Build Strong Coalition Executive Director Pam Williams about how building codes and pre-disaster mitigation can save lives and protect communities. But first, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has officially signed into law reform legislation on property insurance. The reforms will help alleviate the ongoing rate increases in the state by adding prohibitions on contractors' solicitation of homeowners to file insurance claims, preventing public adjusters from incentivizing homeowners to allow them to inspect their roofs for any damages, and reducing the statutory time frame for a claim to be filed from three years to two years. The law also modifies Florida's highly contentious attorney fee structure by eliminating the one-way attorney fee statute for first-party claims, replacing it with a new formula. In Ohio, House Republican Bob Latta reintroduced legislation to revive the Self-Drive Act. It's an effort to create a federal framework for the deployment of autonomous vehicles in the U.S. and provide exemptions from federal safety standards. The bill would task the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration with designing such a framework and providing safety measures for AVs. The Self-Drive Act reached a high-water mark when it was passed unanimously by the House of Representatives in 2017. It was then reintroduced toward the end of the 116th Congress, but failed to gain further consideration. NAMIC has been at the forefront of these issues to ensure safety remains a priority for AVs, that insurance and liability remain regulated at the state level, and that insurers have access to auto-generated data. Well, the month of May was the first time on record that no severe tornadoes, or none higher than an EF3, hit the U.S., May is typically the busiest month for tornadoes, and according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, this was the first time in seven years that none of those tornadoes caused a single death. This week, NAMIC and Guy Carpenter presented the third Severe Weather Quarterly Update. The presentation included a two-part discussion on the severe North American drought and associated wildfire forecast for 2021. You can catch up on demand for an update on the historic western North American drought, placing it in the context of other historic droughts of this century, and focusing on implications for various sectors of the U.S. economy. It's all online at NAMIC.org. Meanwhile, in our nation's capital, Congress is taking a closer look at climate change. Last week, the House Homeland Security Committee held a hearing focused on the impact climate change has on the security of the nation. In advance of the hearing, NAMIC and the Build Strong Coalition educated members of the subcommittee on emergency preparedness, response, and recovery about the critical role building codes and pre-disaster mitigation play in saving lives and protecting communities in the face of climate risk. Iowa Republican Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks described the role of pre-disaster mitigation as the, quote, 
first line of defense in the face of catastrophes. And she asked BuildStrong Coalition Executive Director Pam Williams to discuss the importance of Congress's working to create incentives that encourage business owners, homeowners, and communities to build more resiliently. Thank you, ma'am. I think the first question that these companies and businesses need to answer is what are the risks that I face? The lack of knowledge of risk across this country is, is tremendous. Not You can't attack um, a risk that you aren't aware of. So I think that that is the first line of defense is helping coming together as a community to identify risks and hazards as a system, not as an individual structure or an individual piece of infrastructure, but systemically. And that's how we build community resilience. Williams also told members of Congress about the vital role of the property casualty insurance industry prior to, during, and following a natural disaster in helping policyholders identify risks and assisting with financial relief. And that's just what we're talking about on today's Unscripted as well. Chuck Chamnus recently sat down with Williams following her testimony about how building codes and pre-disaster mitigation can help protect communities. These days, it seems like the topic of resilience and climate risk are some of the hottest in Washington. What a lot of our listeners may not realize is that NAMIC began working on Capitol Hill years ago. It was really following Hurricane Katrina back in 05. We started talking about building codes and their importance. And by 2011, we had created the Build Strong America Coalition, which is really uh, focused on a broad scale on the topic of resilience and our federal government and state government public policy and how we can improve resilience through, uh, through our work. So today we are very fortunate to have Pam Williams, who is the executive director of Build Strong Coalition. Pam, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Chuck. Well, let's just start. I gave a very high level history of the Build Strong Coalition. Maybe you can give us uh, a little more about how we got started. It's hard to believe it's been a decade, but it has. So why don't you tell us a little background about it? Certainly. Well, the Build Strong Coalition is in its 10th year. And it was, as you said, very much founded on the principles of the strength of a strong building built environment and promoting building codes. And even a decade ago, we were leading the way in the mitigation and resilience conversation, recognizing that storms were becoming ever more frequent, ever more severe, and causing much, much more damage as we were progressing through time. So as we looked at disaster costs and losses, realizing that that trajectory was unsustainable, not only in the private sector, but also with federal assistance going out the door, And the group of people that came together knew that something had to be done. There had to be a massive shift in thinking, a massive shift in um, how we approach this, and certainly the federal framework as it relates to disaster assistance. So again, 10 years ago, Build Strong came together with some of um, our great partners, um, the names that you know and love um, in in the property and casualty insurance industry, and decided to start promoting how how do we shift federal policy to promote the adoption and enforcement of strong building codes and that really started to to change and shift as we moved past katrina 
certainly past Hurricane Sandy, we started seeing an increase in the number of wildfires. And so, honestly, a perfect storm occurred in 2017 with the massive number of hurricanes back-to-back, Harvey, Irma, Maria, and then the unprecedented wildfires in the West. And because of the data that the insurance industry brought to the table at that time, we knew that the best investments that could be made were those that strengthened the built environment prior to a disaster. So that became Build Strong's platform. And because of the engagement and the relationships that they had on the Hill, started sharing the massive amounts of information and data to show that the best use of federal funds was to strengthen that built environment because what have we found? That we get four to $11 return for every dollar invested in disaster mitigation, which is so very exciting. And truly bringing the insurance sector to the table transforms the conversation on the Hill. And we were able to get the Disaster Recovery Reform Act passed, which dedicates 6% of disaster spending to pre-disaster mitigation funding. And that was a huge game changer. And that's how Build Strong came to where it was is today. Wow, that is great. And I love to hear your fact-filled and enthusiastic uh, explanation of the background on Build Strong. So, how did you get here? Uh, we met in your prior role, but uh, I think it's a big part of Build Strong success that uh, we're able to have you in this executive director role. So what's your background briefly? Well, I think you can definitely say that I love the work that I do, and I never thought that I would end up here having spent the vast majority of my career in disaster law and policy. But I also began in the mid-90s in the wake of the Midwest floods in Des Moines, Iowa, walking levees at midnight and helping the community recover in the wake of a devastating disaster. So based on that experience, I truly formulated a desire to want to change the world that we live in and help people increase their resilience and sustainability for a disaster. And so that experience that began all those years ago in Des Moines led me ultimately to um, to FEMA's doorstep. And I served as an associate chief counsel for legislation and policy, as well as the deputy director of congressional affairs at FEMA. Um, spent 12 years there. So certainly um, in the wake of 9-11, uh, through Katrina, through Sandy, And then I was able to join the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. Um, Former Chairman Bill Schuster called me up. We had started actually working together um, many years prior to that in um, the Florida hurricanes and had developed a relationship and an appreciation. The chairman had certainly an appreciation for the importance of how to shape disaster assistance programs and how that drives human behavior. And because he had continued to witness and experience this increase in disaster costs and losses, became that became the platform on which he was going to spend the next four years. And so I joined the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, was there for five years 
in the wake of the 2017 storms. Um, and that was my, my introduction to Build Strong. Build Strong came to the table and partnered with me in truly an unprecedented way to give me the data that I needed to convince members of Congress, to give me the support that we needed to draft and get past the Disaster Recovery Reform Act. And I will say that even the former administrator of FEMA, Brock Long, has touted the Disaster Recovery Reform Act and the work that we did on the 6% dedicated spending to pre-disaster mitigation as truly transformational, the most transformational piece of law and authority ever given to FEMA since its inception. And that's, that's a pretty remarkable comment on how far we've come in this conversation. Well, it sure is. And we've been talking a lot about the BRIC funding and we're at this uh, key, still fairly early stage, but excited about the changes that it will bring and really the way it will improve our community's resilience going forward, which also helps you know, our policyholders in the industry. But I should talk next about uh, even this week, uh, you've been in the news or in the spotlight just yesterday. You appeared in the House Homeland Security Committee uh, in a hearing on climate risk and you know, provided our discussion about the uh, uh, resilience conversation. And sitting next to you was Bill Nye, the science guy. So I really have two questions. One, how'd the hearing go? Tell us a little bit about, I suspect you talked a lot about what you've already mentioned in our podcast, but how'd the hearing go? And did you wear a bow tie? Because I assume Bill Nye had one. I was incredibly tempted to wear a bow tie and certainly Bill Nye was donning his. And it was a, a great hearing. It truly was to see the members of the Homeland Security Committee engaged in this level of detail and interest in truly our resilience conversation. What is so exciting about what is happening in Congress right now is a recognition that disaster mitigation, disaster resilience is a key part of the infrastructure conversation, a key part of the COVID-19 conversation, and that we still have much work to do in driving better behavior across governments, across the private sector, and certainly across individuals. And we're paving the way for what that next chapter of resilience legislation means. What I very much appreciated yesterday is the recognition that we are not focused on items related specifically to the causes of climate change. We are keeping people focused on hazard and risk identification, becoming aware of the risks that you are going to face, and then how to draw down those risks in a very fundamental and systematic way. And that's really exciting because if you think back on where we've been, um, one, resilience wasn't even a tag word when, um, when we started this conversation. And folks didn't really understand what mitigation meant, particularly in the disaster world. And now we have more than 10 times more resources, financial resources on the table today. And we really have people talking about what does risk look like? And how do we come together as a community to draw down that risk? And I'm very excited for the 
folks in the Homeland Security Committee to recognize that those are fundamental issues of our safety, security economy, that when we are able to be resilient and we're able to withstand these disaster impacts, truly, we have a more secure homeland. Totally agree. So you've already talked a little bit about the um, DRRA and the BRIC program. Um, you know, we know as recently as, I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe less, I mean, the pre-disaster mitigation funding at FEMA was something like $30 million. Uh, it's going to be like a billion dollars in the next round of funding. I think there's 500 million out now in terms of, um, you know, BRIC uh, funds available. Can you tell us what, how that's being used in communities, what kinds of uh, projects it's funding, and what the outlook is for uh, further funds and uses? So last year, 2020, was the inaugural year of the Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities Grant Program at FEMA, the BRICS program. And like I said, it's over 10 times more resources than we have ever had on the street for pre-disaster mitigation funding than ever before. As a matter of fact, both, you know, both parties in prior administration had wanted to zero out pre-disaster mitigation funding. So the fact that not only did we accomplish this transformational authority in, in Dura, but the fact that FEMA was able to, to build this and implement it in, in a way that engaged so many stakeholders and truly tried to approach how these resources were going to help communities um, it, is, it should be acknowledged and should be honestly applauded. And, and Bill Strong was, was at the table for every step of that to, to make sure that FEMA understood what communities needed, how um, the industry and how the insured sector could come and be force multipliers. So we are just now in the process of learning, um, taking those lessons learned from that, from the inaugural year of BRIC. We won't see actual awards going out the door until later this summer, um, but, but FEMA is absolutely on track to, to start pushing out awards. And what we're seeing is a lot of focus on risk identification, planning, those fundamental first steps to get folks to big mitigation projects that are going to draw down risk. So there's a tremendous amount of funding going there. We also know that as hazards go, flooding's the most prevalent hazard in the country. There are lots of flood mitigation activities going on. And that's really where a lot of mitigation funding has been tried and, trust and, and tested. We know a lot of mitigation techniques that, that work to abate flood, flood risk. But I think some of the most exciting stuff, stuff that we've never seen before that we're going to see in this initial award of BRIC funding is forming partnerships, creative partnerships, bringing together the public and private sector to help leverage the interest and investment in communities to do the unthinkable, to do things that we haven't ever contemplated before, particularly in the wildfire space. This is 
something that, you know, there's not a, an easy roof tie down that, um, that we can focus on to really um, coalesce around. But with wildfire, it does really need to be a systemic and systematic approach to how to draw down that risk. And we're seeing a lot of new solutions, particularly in the residential space. We are working with a lot of states that are trying to stand up residential resilience grant programs, which is very, very exciting. How do we get resources in the hands of homeowners to do the right thing? Um, certainly, another core component of BRIC is building codes. How Build Strong started. How do we get communities to adopt and enforce building codes? So BRIC resources can absolutely be used at the community level to help communities adopt and enforce building codes. And we know that that is the single most important thing that folks can do to help withstand and recover from disasters. So as we're looking to 2021, we're trying to certainly take the lessons that we've learned from 2020. And we do expect um, in the very near future that the billion dollar announcement will go out um, for BRIC 2021. And we're looking forward to working with communities to help further identify their risks and those projects that are going to serve them best to draw down the risks and hazards that they're facing. Well, Pam, this topic of resilience, of climate change and climate risk and adapting to changes in our climate, um, mitigation, you know, one of our favorite words in the industry. These are all very important, very timely topics, and I really appreciate your time today. It's also great, I just observed, having been around this um, system of public policy a long time and working with our industry, it's so great to see an accomplishment, uh, something that we can actually go back and uh, date the founding of it, which was dynamic, the chairing of it all these years, by uh, Jimmy Grandy in our DC office and the recruitment of such a highly qualified, um, energetic and knowledgeable uh, executive director. And then of course the success of the DRA and the BRIC and the real work being done in community. So it's all good and it was great to have you talk about it today and we'll have you back for updates uh, as we get to the next phase of, uh, of funding and work in communities. But thanks for all you do. Thank you. I can't wait for you guys to see what we're going to accomplish in this next chapter. It's very exciting. We look forward to seeing it with you. Again, thank you, Pam. And that's a wrap for us on this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you find the podcast informative and entertaining, and we hope you'll keep tuning in. Thank you again to VPay, the total payment solution, for sponsoring this episode. We'll be back again on June 30th with more insurance news and interviews. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.